7, verse 1 this morning, okay? If you get your Bible and you want to follow along. We're titled, Grace Changes Everything. But let's, let's read here. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things to the people. So this is after the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came down from the mountain and he's heading to a town called Capernaum. And this is what's going on. Um, when Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. So catch this. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he, he, then he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy for you to come and, to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under authority, and my, my superior, my, my officers, if, if, um, if I give, I'm sorry, uh, and I have authority over soldiers, all I need to say is go, and they go, and come, and they come, and do this or do that, and they do it, right? When Jesus heard this, verse 9, he was amazed, and he turned to the crowd that was following him, and he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, and when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. Right, that is an awesome story of some great faith, isn't it? I mean, there's some great faith. Who thinks great faith is awesome? Everybody, right? Great faith is awesome. All right, so here's the thing. God is developing great faith in you. Amen, right? You might think to yourself, I don't know. But I want to tell you today, God is developing great faith in you. You may have thought to yourself last night for the first time in a long time, I think I'm going to go to church. I think I'm going to go to church. And you woke up this morning, guess, guess what you did? You did it. God is developing great faith in you. You took a step of faith. Way to go. You may be wrestling with something in your life right now that is absolutely in the octagon, right? Like WWF, jumping off the ring, kind of heavy-duty stuff that you're battling. And every day is, is a different challenge for you. Listen, God is developing great faith in you. He's developing great faith in me. You may be contending for a marriage. There are some of you that I know today that are contending for your marriage. And one day you have all the faith in the world, and the next day it's a wrestling match. And I want to tell you today, God is developing great faith in you. Amen? Amen. See, it's interesting. Our, you know, our faith can be shaky, can't it? One day we'll, we'll be wrestling and we're, we feel like we're on top of things, and, and the next day we can feel like we're, we're getting beat up. In our faith. But here's the ironic thing um, Jesus rebuked the same town just two chapters later for not having faith. Did you know that? Jesus commended this great faith, and then two chapters later in chapter 10, 
he rebukes them for not having faith. See, our faith can be shaky. And when we read this passage, it's easy to get hung up on the topic of faith because that's what jumps out, this great big faith. But I think when we look here, we're going to see something that is even bigger than faith. And I'm going to tell you what it is in just a minute. See, we get focused on faith and it's easy to skim past verse 4 and verse 5, believing that Jesus did a miracle based on this centurion's goodness, based on his deservedness, based, based on his great big faith. And what happens is we can go away from the story believing that if I'm just good enough, if I'm deserving enough, if I have enough faith, that somehow God's going to meet my need. God's going to do a miracle in my situation. Unfortunately, there, there, there's something going on here that the, these Jewish leaders that came to Jesus, they missed something. See, the, the letters that Paul wrote, they hadn't, they hadn't been written yet, and so they didn't realize that Paul would later say that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, right? That it says that all of us have gone astray and gone our own way, right? And so here they say, here's this good guy, Jesus. He's really good. He's deserving. If anybody's deserving, he is. But the reality of it is, is that in and of ourselves, we're not. And we can leave this, this story thinking, well, if I'm, if I'm just good enough, but there's something embedded here in the cultural context uh, of Luke chapter 7 that I think is so important for us to get our hands on. It's not about faith at all. It's about grace. It's not about faith. It's an aspect of the passage that jumps out at us, but I want us to back up and I want us to dive into something today, okay? All right, here it is. Faith. Listen to this. Faith is the natural response when we understand his grace. Catch that? Faith is our natural response when we understand his grace. We can wrestle with faith, but I want to tell you the deeper subject is when, when we fail to understand what God's grace does in our lives. Faith is difficult. We can struggle with it. But I want to tell you again, when we understand the depth and the magnitude of God's grace, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, about understanding the volume of his grace. Faith comes easy. My goal today, my hope today, is that you leave here today, walking out of here, understanding something new about grace that will release you into a, a faith that you have never experienced before. And what I mean by faith, it's not a churchy word, it's a trust in God that you would trust God in your circumstances. You would trust God in your situation. You'd trust God for your marriage. You'd trust God for your job, your provision, and it would come natural. It would come natural for you. It would just be something of the Holy Spirit that wells up in you and it just comes. All right, so grace. I'm gonna to talk to you about grace. Grace has three parts. Are you ready? Here's the three parts of grace. Attitude. Attitude gifts, and gratitude. These are the three aspects of grace that we're going to find in the Bible in the, in the cultural context that we're going to find in Ephesians in just a minute. But the three aspects of grace. Grace is the attitude of a giver, and gifts are the evidence of the attitude. All right? Grace, once again, is attitude, gifts, 
and gratitude. We're going to be spending some time today talking about the first two. We're not going to talk about, about gratitude a whole lot today. That's another message. That's another three messages, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about them. But today I want to talk to you about attitude or the favor that God has towards us. And secondly, about what do gifts mean? What, are, what, are, what do gifts have to do with this whole thing? So uh, there was a time in my life I was an idiot yesterday, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't long ago. Um, let me see, 30 seconds ago, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to back up further than that. So I had just got my license, and uh, I thought, I'm going to take, take some friends, and we're going to go to Seattle, see a Mariners game. And I was still in this mindset that if I'm driving a car and someone gets behind me, well, my reaction is, I want to make some room, so I'm going to step on the gas. Right? I'm going I'm to make some distance. And it's about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm in Seattle, and I've got some friends with me, and we decide we, we leave this ball game, and we're going to head, head south back to Olympia. And uh, I get on the freeway, and as soon as I get on the freeway, there's a motorcycle, and it's just right on my tail. And so I decide I'm going to make some room. So I started easing on the gas, and the motorcycle got closer. So I eased on the gas more. And I just kept easing on that thing until it was about on the floor. And I was driving like an idiot, and I was weaving in and out of traffic, and I'd gone about three miles, and this motorcycle would not get off of me. So I decide, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to move over. So I, I slow down, and I move over, and the motorcycle gets behind me, slows down, and moves over, and the blue and red lights come on. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Oh, no, right? I was like, I was terrified. My heart sank, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble. I pulled over to the side of the road, and uh, this officer, state patrol officer, he comes up to, to my car, and this guy had probably at one point been a marine drill instructor, <laughs> right? I mean, his helmet is leaning at like this right angle, and his shoulders are wider than the interior of my car, and he leans over, and he says, son, turn off your car. I turn off the car. Give me your keys. Turn, give him the keys. You're going to jail. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, I felt, I felt terrified, right? And he spent, I mean, he was leaning. His whole body was like leaning at this angle. And I'm down below him just crying to myself, right? And he, he, he leaned into me for about 30 minutes. I thought he was going to make me get out of the car and do push-ups. I'm serious. And he leaned into me for 30 minutes. Then he, then he said to me, I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to write you a ticket. Don't drive that way anymore. Right? And it worked for like two weeks. Right? Listen, that's, that's what I call situational grace. Situational grace. It's when we do this. It's just a natural thing for us. We extend grace. Right? When somebody needs grace, we are, I'm going to give them grace. Right? And, and like driving down the freeway, right? We'll be driving like an idiot, and then all of a sudden, uh, somebody cuts you off, and you're riding on them, you're riding on them, and then you decide, I'm just going to give them grace. You back off. Right? Next guy cuts you off. What do you do? You're back on top of them again. Right? I mean, not everybody drives this way. But here's the thing. Throughout different circumstances and situations in our life, we extend grace as we decide it's, it's needed to be given. It's situational grace. Right? Let me tell you, that's not the grace God has for you. 
Okay, that's not the grace God has for you. That's the grace that, that we give to others. And, and I'm going to talk more about it, but gifts. We all know what gifts are, right? Gifts are something we reserve for birthday parties and white elephant gift exchanges, right? I mean, everybody goes to these white elephant gift exchanges, and, and you go in there with your, your, your gift. It was like something you dug out of the cabinet that's been sitting in there for a while. And, you know, you, you are passing around these gifts, and you get this anxiety, right, about like, do I, which one do I pick? Which bag do I pick? Which, which gift do I pick? I don't want to pick a bad one. And then by the time you leave, you're taking home like a stuffed pillow that says, I love puppy monkey babies on it. Or, right? or a, a stinky candle that smells like pine. Right? That's, that's what gifts are to us sometimes. Gifts are something we just kind of give here and there for, for different occasions. Why am I bringing up gifts and grace together. Because here's the thing, in the context of scripture, in the context of the New Testament, gifts and grace always go together. As you're reading through the New Testament and you see gifts come up and you see grace come up, they are always connected. They're always connected. See, there was something going on in, in the New Testament when it was written, cultural mores that had existed a, a, probably 200 years before Christ and Paul's ministries. That when we understand what is going on in the foundation of the culture, it helps us completely read the New Testament differently. It completely sets a new tone outside of our the context of our Western culture. And that's what I want to talk with you guys about today because I want us to be able to see something that's going on throughout in Luke chapter 7, but also something that's happening throughout the New Testament as you read it. Uh, and it's based on the system of patronage and reciprocity. All right, patronage and reciprocity. Let me explain to you what these mean. Patronage is the idea of who you know matters. Your daily needs were dependent upon who you knew, the relationships you had. The, the rights as a citizen, the privileges you got to experience were based on the relationships that you had, based on the people that you knew. It's very countercultural to the way we live, right? And, and reciprocity simply is bartering and trading, right? It's like what people do on Craigslist now all the time right? It, it's, it's trading goods and services for other goods and services. So um, let, me, let me back up for just a minute. Let me get down to the foundation of this. So in, in Christ's time, even just before that, when you would be in Rome or in Greece, you would come across a statue that would commemorate the idea of patronage and reciprocity. This was their, their entire financial social structure was built on this. Anywhere you went, this, the, one of the most prominent statues you would find would be a statue called Charis. The statue Charis, or the word we get the word grace from, is a plural word and it means the graces. Understand tracking with me? Right? So, this was a statue of three girls that were dancing in a circle. And the first girl represented the attitude of grace. The second girl represented the gift that was given as evidence of the attitude. You following me? The third was represented gratitude. It was 
the gift given back, the, the attitude given back, the favor given back, right? And, and they, these girls danced in a circle and it represented something that was foundational to the culture, right? Grace. We read it in the Bible and think it's just a Bible word, but it's not. It was something that was absolutely foundational that Paul expressed God's love to us as an example of this thing that was going on in their community, right? So, uh, here's, how it, here's how it would work. Um, oh, let me use, use this as an example. Last night, uh, my daughter, we got her a bike for her birthday, right? So we went to Walmart, and we, we found a bike, and as we're checking out, I'm at the, I'm at the counter, and, and there's Matt, Matt the teller. And here's something that did not happen, right? Tracking with me? This did not happen. I did not go up to Matt and say, hey, Matt, um, thank you so much for this bike. This means a lot. Here's my phone number. And me get his phone number, and and I, and, I, and me tell him, hey, listen, Matt, you've done such a great thing for me. I'm going to return the favor, so you just let me know if there's anything you need. Okay, wouldn't that be a weird transaction at the store? <laughs> so, so here's here's this transaction that that did not happen, right? I did not say that to him. He did not say to me, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to my house, meet my family? We're going to have dinner. That's not how we do things, right? Transactions, the way we do transactions, if I need something, I go to the store, I pay for it, I leave. There's no relational interchange, there's no relational exchange that takes place. It's, it's money for materials. It's money for service. There's no relationship. In their culture, in this context, relationship is everything. And that's why Paul says in uh, Ephesians uh, 4.4, Paul says that if we... Uh, try to get grace by earning it, it's counted as debt. What's that mean? It means to them, disconnecting relationship from a transaction, they would, you would go to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I know we haven't seen each other in a long time, but you know what? I need some of those goods. You know what you'd be told? I don't know you. Sorry. Because you've, you've violated the relationship. Make sense? It's about the relationship. See, it's easy for us to think of grace as an impersonal situational transaction instead of in terms of relationship because that's how we operate. So you would work like this. A wealthy person would give gifts to the community and become a patron. He in turn would be winning loyalty or prestige with the people. Here's an example. King Herod the Great built the temple, King Solomon's temple for the Jews to try to win their favor. Or the poor would gather fish and bread and they'd exchange those kind of things for for the goods and services that they need. Grace was the attitude of the patron. Okay? The person who has the, the gifts and the goods and the services, he, would, he was the patron, okay? The benefactor is the person receiving the goods and services. So if you needed something, you would go to somebody and they would become your patron. You'd develop a relationship with them and the needs that you had, they would meet. And those needs would be met in the way of a gift. Understand? Okay. I know this is, this is dragging on. I'm going to get into the Word of God here in just a minute, but I'm trying to build some context to what we're going to be talking about. See, grace was the attitude of the patron, the one giving support by way of a gift. A gift was proof of the attitude, okay? 
It was proof of the attitude. Uh, the benefactor or the receiver of the gift now was under the covering of the patron and was obligated to show gratitude by returning the favor when it was necessary. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So now we're going to jump back over to Luke chapter 7. You guys ready? All right, here we go. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come heal his slave. So what's going on here? The centurion is a patron of the Jewish community. He is given grace. He, the, the, the Jewish elders come to Jesus and they say this, he loves the Jewish people and he's even built a synagogue for us. You see what's happening there? Right? He was a patron to the Jewish community and he gave them a gift to show his attitude towards them. The, the Jewish elders, they express the attitude. He loves the community, right? But then he says, he's given us a gift of a synagogue. And so now what's supposed to happen? There's the return of the favor, right? And so what happens here is the, the um, centurion goes to the Jewish elders and says, hey, I know we've got this relationship. I have a, a servant who is dying, and I've heard that there's a healer here. He's pulling a favor. I need a favor. I need you to send a guy to fix my guy, right? And so they go to Jesus, and they, they beg with him, listen, these are probably the same guys, the same Jewish elders who are constantly at odds with Jesus, but you know what they did? They said, we're going to put everything aside, Jesus. We're going to go and beg you. You've got to do this because we, we don't want to violate culturally what's normal. Okay? So they go to Jesus and they say, he's worthy. Jesus knows we're not, right? So listen to what happens here. Verse 6. Catch this for just a second. So Jesus went with them. Get that. Jesus went with them. And he could have said, nobody's worthy. Listen to what he does in, in Luke chapter 18. A rich young ruler goes to him and says, and says, how do I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says to him, well, you've heard of the commandments. And he says, yeah, I know. I've done all of them since birth. Since I was young, I've done all the commandments. And Jesus says, okay. He says, I'm really good. I'm super, super good. And Jesus says, okay, now sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he says, I, 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 can't, I can't do it. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, almost every time you see him speaking to somebody, points out the fact that no matter what we've done, it's not good enough. That there's always something outside of our reach to be good enough. That's why Paul wrote that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of God's grace, right? And so Jesus, knowing that, could have said he's not worthy, right? Yeah? Yeah, but what's he do? So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, something happens. Something happens. The Holy Spirit prevails upon the heart of the centurion, who is at first saying, I'm going to be the, the, the receiver of my benefactors repaying me a favor. But something happens in his heart as he begins to, to recognize something about Jesus, something about the Christ that has paid a price for him. Something happens in his heart and it changes to where he recognizes his need. 
he recognizes his brokenness. He recognizes his deficit. And he sees that no longer is he being repaid a favor, but now he is going to the, the patron God for grace and becoming a benefactor of the love of God. Right? He's becoming a benefactor of the love of God. And so he, he says, hold on. He sends out friends to say, I'm not worthy. I can't, I can't, you can't be in my presence. I'm broken and, and worthless and hurting and um, I am undeserving. But Jesus is going, isn't he? Jesus is going. See, listen, for Jesus, it was never about the worthiness or the deservedness of the soldier. It was about the willingness of the Savior. Listen to that. For you, it is never about our worthiness. It is about his willingness. Your current circumstances, the things that you wrestle with, where you think, I, I, I need Jesus, but I just don't know. You need to hear today that it is not about our deservedness. It is about his willingness. Right? It's about his willingness. You may feel like your situation is hopeless. You may feel like you're faithless, but you need to know something. Hope is on his way. Hope is on his way. Not because we deserve it, but because he is willing and he loves you. So let's apply something that we know right now about grace that we've talked about, about this whole idea of grace and, uh, and gifts and gratitude, okay? We're going to apply that now to a, to a verse that is pretty common about grace, okay? Yeah, probably the most popular one in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, so that no one can boast, right? For by grace, what's grace? The attitude, the favor that's given. For by grace, the attitude of God towards you, you have been saved. What's salvation? It's the gift that represents the attitude God has towards you. It backs up the attitude. It backs up and supports the favor, right? So he's given us the gift of salvation. For by grace, the attitude, you have been saved, the gift, through faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast, right? So are we catching that? It, it's, it's a gift from God that substantiates his attitude towards us. His attitude towards you is favor all the time. See, God doesn't give us situational grace. God doesn't give us situational grace where he gives it here and he pulls it back and he gives it here and he pulls it back. His attitude towards us all the time is that of favor, that he accepts you, that he accepts you. He accepts you. Now listen, catch, catch this. That's different than approval. It's different than approval. Listen, salvation, it, it'd be easy to think, okay, God's given me this gift, but to, to prove his attitude towards me is favorable, Right? But how do I experience it? Salvation, I mean, do I have to die first and go to heaven? And then I experience the gift? No, salvation has more than one part. Salvation, part of salvation is a sanctification process that when you receive Christ, he begins to shape you from the inside out and develop life change in you so that we can see the gift when we look in the mirror every other day. 
we can see that something's changing in us. It's a tangible gift. Because here's the thing. God didn't save you to leave you the way that you are. We, we talk in church a lot about come as you are, right? Because the Bible says that. But do you think he's going to leave you as you are? No. He's not leaving us the way we are. You know why? Because we're all broken and we know it, don't we? We put on a good front. In fact, I, I hear spouses sometimes say, say I just want you to, 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 to love me for who I am, right? And the thing we have to be careful of is are we asking for love or are we asking for approval? Because here's the thing. We're not a finished product. And to say to somebody, I want you to, to approve of me just the way I am, you would never think the same thing about anybody else, right? When we get around other people, we don't think, you're perfect just the way you are. Yeah. Do we? Right? We think, oh man, I can write a whole list of things that need to change, right? That's how things work. God didn't leave us. God didn't save us to leave us the way we are. He saved us to perfect us, to make us more like Christ, right? And we can look in the mirror every other day as we follow Christ and see the change that's happening because of his Holy Spirit at work. It's a gift, and we can see it. But that's not all. He's given us other gifts. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit as an evidence, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit to encourage us and empower us and comfort us and change us and, 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 and be a counselor to us, right? He's, it's a tangible gift that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. But wait, there's more. He's given us, Paul, Paul writes about the gifts, uh, the Holy Spirit gifts, right? Spiritual fruit. He writes about the gift of leadership in church that would help us grow. He's talked about the gift of the church that is a relationship. There are so many gifts that God has given us to substantiate the favor so that we would know it's there. So we'd be reminded that his grace is there all the time. So we've answered the question, how Long is God's grace. Earlier I read a passage where Paul said, I want you to know the, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of God's love for you. So we've just covered the length. God's love for you, his grace and favor towards you are from the cross till his return. Okay? It's not, it's not situational. He doesn't give it to you and take it away. It's all the time. But how, how deep is it? How deep is God's grace? And the Bible says that God has given each of us a measure of faith. A measure of faith. So just think for a minute about, about your life. Think for a minute. God, what's, what's my measure of faith? I know, that it's, I know that it's long, and it'll cover my life easily. But how, how deep is it? How rich is it? For some of you who, who may feel disconnected from God, maybe you feel like, You've run from the Lord for so long. You feel like your faith hasn't been strong. Maybe you feel like, you know, like you have a, a tablespoon, right? Where before you thought maybe God fills your tablespoon situationally, but now you know the tablespoon's full all the time, right? But it's a tablespoon. Let's look at what, what the Word of God says about the volume that God has given you. If, if we look in the context of what we've been talking about, about grace, we can jump up to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's do that real quick. I'm going to move over to Ephesians 4, verse 7. And it says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each of us grace was given 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's a measure of grace that we have, but it's based on something, Christ's gift. Where do we find Christ's gift? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? What was the gift? Salvation. That was Christ's gift, right? Now let me ask you, how thoroughly did Christ die on the cross? Completely. How thoroughly was he nailed to the cross? How thoroughly was he beat for our sins and wounded for our transgressions? How thoroughly was the crown of thorns pressed down on his head? How thoroughly was he buried in the ground on our behalf? How thoroughly did he rise from the dead? Seen by over 400 witnesses. How thoroughly did he promise, I love you and I'm coming back for you? How thoroughly did he do that? Uh, like 60%? Yeah, maybe like 75 No, he gave it all, didn't he? He gave it all. So what is the measure of Christ's grace towards you? 100%. The length is your lifetime. It's 100%. The depth of God's grace for you is 100%. And Paul says, I want you to understand the volume of the grace that God has for you. So now I want you to picture for just a second. I want you to close your eyes up. And I want you to imagine for just a minute what you thought about the volume that grace, God's grace he had given to you. Maybe it was a tablespoon. Maybe you thought, I've, I've got a little bit of faith. So you got a, maybe a cup, right? Think about where you're at and think about, you know what? I, I, I just don't know that I deserve God's grace. I've never been able to receive that. I feel judged. I feel like God's maybe just judging me. I feel undeserving. I feel like, I, I just don't know that I could be forgiven for that. Now imagine that, that, that thing that holds the volume of God's grace. And if you see a picture in your head and behind that thing that's in your hand is blurry. Now imagine this, you take two steps forward into what you think is blurry and all of a sudden you're standing underneath Snoqualmie Falls, pouring down on you. What's that doing to your measuring cup? It is absolutely overwhelming everything that you thought God was giving you and is a constant downpour in a massive volume. That is the grace that God has for you. That is the all the time favor that God has towards you, evidenced by the gifts that he's given you to prove I love you so much and I want to pour out my grace upon you. So listen, if you're here today and you think to yourself, you know what, I, feel, I just feel like God's, God's judging me. I feel like my circumstances and my situation are, are, are punishment. God's punishing me. I feel like I don't, deserve, I don't deserve grace. I want you to know today that God is not punishing you. I want you to know today that God is not judging you. You know why I know that? Because he judged and punished Jesus on the cross on our behalf. You are free of it. 
There may be some of you who, who have a stronghold in your life that is holding on to this, this idea that God is judging you or that, that somehow you're undeserving and you need to hear today, Jesus bore that for you. You are free of that. You're free of that. You receive it? You're free of that. Okay, so listen to this for just a second. We understand through what we've talked about today that we are a benefactor of patron God. Do we get that? Okay, we're a benefactor of patron God. What do benefactors do with patrons? They go and they ask for needs, right? Okay, so we're able now to go to God, our, our heavenly provider, and ask. Three, three aspects of grace are what? Attitude, gifts, and gratitude, right? Those three go hand in hand. Without gratitude, can we receive grace? Have we really received grace if it hasn't, hasn't produced gratitude in our lives? God wants to produce gratitude in our lives through the grace that he's given us, right? But here's the thing. Paul tells us that God has even taken it a step further. Listen to what he says. Um, Alec, can I get you? Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6, Paul says this. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He predestined us as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the promise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So not only did does Paul call us benefactors of a patron God, the heavenly Father? But he makes a point that God has taken it a step further to say, not only do you come to me for the things that you need, but I have adopted you to be my children. I love you that much that I call you family. And I want you to hear that today, church, that God calls you sons and daughters that not only has he, has he given you the ability to come to him as a, as a patron because he, he has this relationship with you if you've come to him and received his son, but you need to hear today that he calls you sons and daughters, that the, the grace that he has for you is so overwhelming, we, we can't even wrap our mind around it, but it's for you. It's for you. Remember, faith is the product that comes naturally when we understand the grace that he has. When you think about the grace God has for you tomorrow concerning your current or future circumstances, know this, that God is ready and waiting to hear your need. He's ready and he's waiting, not just as a patron, as a loving father. He says, come to me. What do you need? Sometimes we don't go to him because we, we may think, I just don't know if he really wants to. I don't know if he really wants to hear it. You need to hear today, God is waiting and waiting. I mean, he, he, is, he is so waiting, you can't even imagine to hear what you have to say, to walk in relationship with you, and to hear what, what your request is. What do you need from him? He wants to meet your need. And most importantly, he wants to meet a relational need that you have. Right? Earlier today, I talked about how um, there are some of us that 
the Lord is calling home, that we, we get out there and we do our life and we live life and we feel disconnected from God and we feel disconnected from, from our church family. But you need to know today that you belong and that you are loved. And God's grace for you is 100%. The volume of his love is uncontainable. And it is pouring down on your life. Doesn't that bring us to a place of gratitude? It does, doesn't it? Doesn't it bring us to a place of trust? It does, doesn't it? It makes it so much easier just to say, God, I trust you. Your evidence is there. The evidence of your grace. So, so he's asking and, he, and he's waiting. I'm going to pray for you and I'll let you guys get out of here. But Heavenly Father, we just come before you today. Lord, we love you. And Jesus, we are so grateful for your your grace, Lord, that we can't even comprehend. But Lord, today I pray that something would settle in us of a little bit of an understanding of the magnitude, the volume that Paul talked about that would overwhelm our lives and sweep away the faithless fear that we have as to whether or not you really care. Lord, because your word declares, declares your grace to your kids. And listen, church, for those of you who are, who are here today and, and if you've come here and this may be your first time to church or you've been running from God and you think, you know what? Uh, I want to come into this relationship. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never come into that relationship with God, I want to invite you to do that today. And this is, this is what it takes. It takes a, a submission of your heart to say, God, I need you. Just like the centurion servant we talked about, I have a need. And I want you to know today that if that's you, Jesus is already on his way. If that's you today, I want to invite you. Um, we have a prayer team that usually meets up here on the, 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 your left side of the, the stage. And they absolutely are called and love to pray for you. And I want to invite you just to come up there and say, hey, you know what? I, I gave my life to Jesus today. I want to surrender to him. Would you pray with me? Pray with him. If you have a need today to go and talk to him, pray with him. They would love to pray for you. Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful for your grace towards us. Lord, we praise you today. And Lord, as we go out of here, Lord, I ask that something uh, would settle in our soul, God, of, of the magnanimous love you have for us, God, that would change us, that our tomorrows would be different. Our faith would be the faith of the centurion, Lord, that's great because of the gratitude, because of the recognition of this grace that we didn't even know existed before. Jesus, bring us to that place, Lord your name. God bless you guys. Alex, would you lead us in that, that, that song?